one of the biggest problems with um, like white Christianity in specifically in the United States is just like this, this like intertwining of Christian identity and white identity. You have to be willing to educate yourself. You have to be willing to hear things that are unpleasant and you have to surround yourself with information, surround yourself with culture. And that is, in my opinion, that's the only way to change hearts. This week, we're talking with Jordan and Camille, hosts of the YouTube channel, Halida. Ever since coronavirus hit the scene, racism has become quite a hot topic once again. Racial slurs have been said, and the Chinese culture has been belittled just because coronavirus originated there. But is that really how we need to be handling this situation? So we brought on Jordan and Camille to talk about this, as well as to dive into even more of what it means to try to break free from racial stigmas and racial mentalities. We are for the spiritual nomads, the outcasts, and the ones who desire to ask the hard questions. A shelter in the desert, a safe place to share our thoughts, our hopes, and our dreams. We are pursuing the truth, and we don't care about the consequences. We invite you to come and sit at our table and be a part of our tribe. We are brave. We are bold. We are the Reckless Pursuit. Hey everyone, welcome to The Reckless Pursuit. My name is Elaine. And my name is Cody. And you're listening to episode 110. All right, so racism has become a conversation piece again. And it's interesting because this is a topic we were going to be talking about soon anyway. And uh, we had reached out to Jordan and Camille from Halidom. Uh We've had the honor of being on their YouTube channel. And we were wanting to bring them on the podcast as well. And we were going to talk about racism toward the Muslim culture. But because of all this stuff with the Chinese virus, using air quotes here, uh, proper name, COVID-19, and just some of the racism, blatant racism toward Asian culture, and really just uh, honestly haven't talked about this conversation, like we haven't had this conversation in a little while anyway about race. And I, I, I felt halfway through this episode, why don't we go ahead and chop this into two parts? So we're going to start off kind of talking about both, and we really just kind of shift, I think I actually make a little bit of a a PSA right in the middle there saying like, hey, we're shifting this into two episodes. So what you're listening to here is going to be the first part of two episodes. The second one will come out a little while in the future, uh, a few weeks in the future. But right now we're talking specifically about racism and all of that that's kind of come on the scene since uh, the rise of coronavirus. And I'm extremely uh, honored to have both of them come and share their perspectives on this. This is a topic that I am personally not the most educated on and to just be able to listen and to hear did wonders for me. And there's just quite a bit said that actually really helped me understand not only the issue, but helped validate me as just oh, as a white guy. Like it helped validate me even. Uh, and I really feel like both of their hearts for this topic is really beautiful. Also, I want to go ahead and give a little bit of information on them because you don't get that toward the end. So if you want to find their show, links for that are in the show notes below. And they actually have a, a series coming out on racism, which was kind of what spurred this on as well. So enough of that. Let's get right into this episode with Jordan and Camille of Halidom. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Reckless Pursuit. This week, we are sitting with Jordan and Camille from Halidem. How are you guys? Good. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. How are you guys? We are Doing great. Well. Just trying to handle everything that's going on in the world, but 
we're great. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Same here. <laughs> so today we're talking about something very interesting uh, because I feel like I've heard a lot of one side of this, but I'm really interested to hear a more broad perspective. We are talking about racism specifically with uh, the Muslim culture, mm-hmm. but uh, just a little bit of all of this together and what kind of spurred this on, I think is just a lot of racism toward Asians in our time right now with COVID-19, coronavirus. And I feel like at least that's kind of what started this in my mind and this kind of becoming a topic that's even being brought to the forefront. But I don't know, it seems like kind of a weird transition, but I guess it's one of those things where we've been thinking about this one thing and then now all of a sudden this other thing is kind of relevant in the media again, people being racist toward Asians just because of this virus blaming, uh, I guess, like Asian Americans even... Chinese everything. So I'm just going to open this up to y'all and we can just kind of pave the way for this conversation with however uh, we kind of transition here. So what got this on both of your minds? Uh, I know y'all are about to do some videos about this. By the time this goes out, they'll probably already be out. So y'all already have some resources available to further this conversation, but I'm just going to open it up to y'all. Like you said, there's this kind of undercurrent that's been going on recently. Um, I mean, not just with, um, with like eight, racism aimed at Asian people, but also just, you know, continuing racism aimed at people from the Middle East and specifically Muslims. And yeah, I mean, it's a huge problem um, in the general population, but also it's a huge problem even in churches. You know, it's not uncommon to hear this stuff from pulpits. You know, it's not uncommon to hear this stuff in the pews. And, you know, it's just this issue that I think we as Christians need to you know, address head on, confront, uh, tear down, deconstruct. And, you know, I think it's, it's kind of this underlying sickness that can really fester, you know, in communities. And the thing is, you know, especially with like Islamophobia, I think you find this both in communities, you know, on the right and sometimes in communities on the left. And I think that, you know, it's something that challenges our, our humanity as we try to sort of reach out and understand, you know, people of other faiths, people who are with of other backgrounds, people who are different from us. And I just think it's just a really important topic to look at and discuss. Yeah, I totally agree. And I feel like for me, this whole idea of Islamophobia has been so ingrained in like the culture that I grew up around that I almost stopped noticing it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, because I guess the first time I was aware of it was when 9-11 happened and I was like, seven maybe or eight so it's just been a part of my life and so it's been really interesting to kind of deconstruct even some prejudices that I didn't even know I had you know Mm -hmm. talking through all this stuff so yeah yeah and and also I think one of the things that links it to sort of the current situation with um, the coronavirus is I think what people are looking for is a scapegoat Mm. You know, they want a reason to uh, a reason to believe that we don't have to do anything, that everything's fine. It's not a problem with us. It's not a problem with, you know, anything that we've ever done. Uh, You know, we can just blame it entirely on this whole other entire group. And then we can kind of just keep on moving on with our lives. However, however, they've been however we've been doing things in the past. For instance, people have been calling it the you know Chinese virus. Yeah. Um, Yeah, And and the. Yeah, and One person in particular has been calling. Yeah. <laughs> yes. we'll, we'll, uh, we'll leave that to the listener to figure out. No name dropping. <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, 
But, but, you know, people who have been defending that terminology have said, well, you know, this is how we've always done it. You know, this is, this is how we name viruses. And one, that's not true. You know, right. the World Health Organization has a specific method for naming viruses and they named it, you know, COVID-19. Uh, right. They gave it a different name than that. So I think, you know, and then also uh, there is actually like a historical legacy of scapegoating racial groups you know, by naming the, these viruses after communities, mm -hmm. uh, specifically vulnerable communities. There have been viruses in the past that have been blamed on uh, black people. There have been viruses blamed on Jewish people. There have been virus, you know, like, yeah, if that's the historical precedent that you want to cite in order to, you know, defend your idea, that's, you're opening yourself up to a lot more criticism, you know. Something I wanted to throw in there real quick, kind of like, uh, I guess are really like relevant because I've heard, I guess, parallels between this a lot. The Spanish flu has nothing yeah. to do with Spain. It was started in Kansas. Like yeah. it was called Spanish flu because we had a international commute or what a national communication lockdown for World War One, I, I believe. And so Spain was the first person to report the virus, but it started in farms in Kansas. And so like that's I'm, just to kind of like feed in like an actual example right. for people to kind of yes. chew on. So mm -hmm. sorry to cut you off there, but go ahead. Oh, no, you're oh, fine. Yeah. I, you know, and I think what it does, like the, the more insidious thing that it does is it, you know, instills this like idea that, oh, well, this this group is is unclean. You know, I, you know, I've heard people talking about this when I've heard people describe, you know, the people who, who first the first cases of this disease, you know, people describe them like, you know, it's like, oh, this disgusting, filthy, you know, like you just hear this sort of like purity language pop up and, and specifically like racial purity language kind of under underneath there. And it's just like it can become really, really disturbing really, really fast. But I don't think people are aware. I, I mean, some people definitely are aware, but I don't think everybody who's using this language is completely aware of that like historical precedent, you know, when it comes to the othering that happens when we use this kind of divisive language. Yeah. And there's kind of like an us versus the mentality, even with that of like, we're clean. We didn't cause, uh, I guess America specifically, like we're clean. We didn't cause this. We didn't do those things. They brought it here and now we're affected from it. But it's not just America. It's not just China. It's all over the world. Like everybody is experiencing these things. The world is hurting like, all over and it's not just countries against countries and it's so interesting because I teach VIP kid which is teaching um, Chinese students English online and so typically they take off the whole month of February for Chinese New Year and w which is sad because that's when this stuff really started happening over in China and they weren't able to leave their house. They weren't even allowed to have birthday cake for their birthdays. They like weren't able to go to the grocery store. I saw parents in the background wearing masks and everything. And it was just very devastating because normally February is a really fun month for them. They celebrate all year long. They, they celebrate their culture and their diversity. And it was just so disheartening hearing even Chinese students saying, why does America hate us or America caused this to us or um, like it was their fault. Like these little kids thought it was their fault that they were causing all of this. And it's just so interesting to see like when it started coming to America and, and other countries, just the way that we've handled it, have handled it as a whole and just the us versus the mentality. And like I said, it's not just us versus them. It's, it's, it's all of us. Yeah. Wow. That's so heartbreaking. 
to hear how it's affecting kids because I mean I work with kids too and I just can't even imagine having to have that kind of conversation with them that just that really really breaks my heart you know wow but I think the the thread that kind of connects all this stuff with um you know the the people's ideas around the coronavirus people's ideas around Islamophobia I think the thread through all of it is just fear you know and I think that when people are afraid, you know, it kind of shuts down your, your kindness. It kind of shuts down your generosity. It kind of shuts down your willingness to open yourself up. It kind of shuts down um, your willingness to see other perspectives, you know. Yeah, because like, you're trying to protect yourself. Yeah, right. You, you close ranks, you know, put your guard up. Yeah. And, uh, and there's not much room left for compassion. And I think that's one of the biggest through lines in um, with all this stuff regarding Islamophobia. You know, I think there's a lot of misinformation out there mm-hmm. that has led people to just simply be afraid, mm-hmm. you know, and, and as we know, you know, fear is not the most rational, you know, state that a human being can be in. You know, you're mm-hmm. not thinking clearly, you're not thinking logically, but you know, you're just thinking, Oh my God, I've, feel like I'm in danger. I need to do something. I need to lash out. I need to be active. I need to be aggressive, you know, and it kind of just brings all those things out of us. So something that I kind of feel like is a contributor to this is you have general racism and we'll get into the the part about um, Islamophobia in a second. We just decided to make this a two part. So we're just going to, we'll, I think I'll probably announce that <laughs> <Yeah>. previously. <laughs> so if you're listening to this, you already knew this was coming, but we just decided this. Um, <laughs> but I think that we have this weird nationalism approach. And this is kind of what uh, both you, Jordan, and Elaine, y'all were kind of touching on there is we have this nationalism. Oh, I am, we're better than them because mm-hmm. we, uh, we didn't cause this. And it's even it's funny because we even turn on ourselves. I have a really good friend uh, who's also my cousin, who we also work with pretty regularly, yeah. and he works retail uh, for his nine to five job. And right now, for precautionary measures, they're wearing gloves and masks because he's having to go around and do general retail stuff. And it was interesting to hear him talk about how like he's treated like the plague just because he's wearing mm. a mask. And we've, you know, I've heard this numerous times before, like, oh, Asian cultures, they always wear masks because they're always so sick because they live in filth. And, you know, they bring this on themselves because they eat random things. Like, there's just all these mm, weird yeah. racist misunderstandings of culture. Mm-hmm, and yeah. what do you think causes, like, why, how do we get this nationalistic mindset? Like, where has this came from and how do we catch it so we can try to better understand others. I'm just, I'm trying to get a uh, a grasp on all of this, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, one of the ways that, that groups sort of manufacture unity, you know, is to other people is to say what we're against, you know, who we oppose, who we hate. I mean, that's just one of the things that unfortunately works with human beings. I mean, obviously there's other better ways to do that to do it um, and more healthy ways to do it. But, but I think that, you know, when you can get a group of people all angry at another group of people, that group of people is all of a sudden very unified. And I think, you know, people can capitalize on that and people can take advantage of that. And, you know, it's just kind of this sad cycle that happens, Mm -hmm. but, but, you know, also like, I think that this is just something that, that humans have experienced and the kind of behavior that humans have, have engaged in 
for like, you know, as long as there's been humans. Yeah. Um, you know, like I think even if you look in, in the Old Testament, you know, you see a lot of like food restrictions and purity laws, like this is pure, this is impure, you know, and you can see how like if you were to compare yourself to another culture, well, they're doing all these impure things because they're not following our laws, right. you know, and I think that Americans now are doing the same exact thing. You know, in America, we don't eat bats, you know, so you there's kind of this implicit like purity law against eating bats and anybody who breaks that is now impure and dirty and yeah. and and you know gross and disgusting and we can and we can other them and and not feel bad about it you well, know the thing is we don't apply that to ourselves because you look at other cultures like like jewish people they don't eat pork mm-hmm. they don't eat anything that comes from a pig or like hindu people don't eat beef or like anything from a cow and things like that and like for us we're like what's wrong with that you know yes. we're totally fine eating our burgers and like all that kind of stuff so i think like what it will take to kind of fix this mindset i think is humility mm-hmm. on the part of americans you know i think a thing that's really um, ingrained in Western culture and particularly American culture is arrogance. You know, we are always right. No matter the way we do things is the way that everybody should do things, you know? And so I think, yeah, a lot of pride. Um, and it's, it's just such a culture that's been so fostered for so long here that yeah. I think it's just going to take humility from people, you know? Yeah. And I think part of the DNA of America is American exceptionalism. Yeah. You know, we feel like we stand out. We feel like we are sort of the moral arbiter of the world. We we feel like exceptional. We, you know, mm-hmm. stand alone among nations, you know, and yeah. and this idea makes it extremely easy to put yourself in that judge position yeah. um, of of other countries. And um, well I will say uh, speaking as a person of color, I don't you're listeners probably won't know this. I'm black. (laughs) Um, This is a very, I'm just going to say white mentality, you know, like I think being in a community that's marginalized more often than not, like it's a lot easier to empathize with other cultures. And I think just Mm -hmm. from my perspective, growing up in whiteness um, my whole life, I kind of understand both sides. So I can see the, um, American nationalistic side and the the sense of superiority without necessarily completely being allowed to participate in it because I'm on the other side to where there are other people that feel superior to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I probably should have said, you know, it's a (laughs) a integral part of white American identity. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, no, actually, I take offense at that. White people have never done anything wrong. Okay. You're right. So so sorry. (laughs) Well, I was going to ask, um, and this may be really personal, but I was actually going to ask, have you guys ever experienced any of that being an interracial couple? Have you ever experienced any of that racism or any remarks from the church or from just society as a whole? Because I know a lot of people specifically in the church have these weird views based on like old biblical law of like, you can't have interracial marriages. Or Even like, though every single person is yes. now interracial. Yes. Pretty much at <laughs> right. like, I know there's like I, this weird stigma against, have you ever experienced any of that? I don't think I have. I mean, I think it would probably be, I know that you've definitely experienced just racism in general. Right. Um, but like with regard to just the fact that we're a couple, I, I don't think I've experienced mm-hmm. anything like that. 
I think for me, it's been more like curiosity. Like people just ask like stupid offensive questions by accident, you know? But I think for the most part, we've been fortunate to be surrounded by pretty open-minded people, Mm. you know? And I think most of the time, like it's when we're outside of like church experience, like especially because out where we're at, people tend to try to be more polite. Who knows what they're thinking in their minds when they walk yeah. away from us, you know? But I know like we've been in certain areas where, yeah, we do get weird looks and I probably notice it much more than he does. Yeah. Cause you can probably. just kind of like walk around in the world, but I'm always kind of like watching because I'm, I'm sensitive to that, you know? Thankfully, we're growing up in a day and age and we got together in a day and age where people are much more accepting. But sometimes you you do. You do just run into ignorant people. You know, there's people like when we do youth camps, we're usually in these tiny little towns. And I'm the only person that looks like me there, you know, and you mm-hmm. get old ladies that hold on to their purses when I walk by and like just people that just like will just stare at us like we're just like zoo animals. It's like how did this happen? (laughs) You know, so, so it's definitely sometimes more, um, uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. How do you think like the church specifically contributes to that? And not, not just specifically with you guys, but just racism as a whole, everything that's going on with coronavirus as a whole, how do you think churches have contributed to that fear and, and that pride and arrogance? How do you think that some pastors and some churches are handling this in a negative way? Well, I think one of the biggest problems with um, like white Christianity in specifically in the United States is just like this, this like intertwining of, of Christian identity and white identity. Um, and I think that that actually causes a lot of issues in 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 certain Christian circles, not just because it it kind of distorts your view of the world, but you know it 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 distorts your view of of whiteness by baptizing it, and you know, and it also distorts your view of Christianity by whitewashing it. You know, so neither <laughs> neither thing. I mean, obviously, I think Christianity is actually a good thing, and and a lot of sort of white identity politics are categorically uh, bad, but both things sort of get distorted in our minds. You know, it causes, it causes people to have just a lack of empathy and it causes people to, um, you know, have a stronger sense of us versus them, you know, and, and I think it's just been really, really harmful. Well, uh, I think a lot of it comes from leadership too. We've yeah. got people like Franklin Graham, like mm-hmm. just saying crazy stuff, you know, and it's hard, like, because a lot yeah, of it sure. is generational, like it gets passed down, you know, mm-hmm. and it's the same way it gets passed down the same way the Christian tradition got passed down, you know, and it's kind of like those two things happened at the same time um, in some respects. And so you get some people that are just straight up unwilling to educate themselves and then they pass down that willful ignorance to their congregation and so you get people like you were saying like they they're attaching this whiteness ideology with their christian faith and and sometimes it gets hard to know which is which and so i don't necessarily place a lot of the onus of that on just everyday like congregation members because i think a lot of times like especially what you're taught like in Christianity and growing up evangelical, like um, we did, you are taught that whatever your pastor or what the leadership says, like 
they're hearing from God and that's what you believe in turn, you know? And so you get a lot of people that are not thinking for themselves because they're being taught not to think for themselves. And so it just like turns into this huge snowball. Yeah. And, and I think it's also important to, to realize that it's not accidental that these two things have become intertwined. You know, they were purposefully, you know, brought together specifically, you know, during the time of slavery and, and after, and, you know, into like Jim Crow and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But these two, these two ideologies were, were kind of forced together by people who uh, wanted to defend an economic system that benefited them using the Bible, using their spirituality. And it's just so hard once, once they were just slammed together it's so hard to break them back apart for a lot of people. Yeah, like I think there is this sense that people who hold racist views and people who engage in, in racist activities, you know, are certainly morally culpable for their actions. Uh, but there's also like a, a big sense in which this is an educational issue. Because, you know, I think there are two kinds of racists, you know, racists who are just hateful people. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they want to hate. And then there are racists who were taught that that's the only way that human beings can really organize themselves and how society can work. And I have a lot more sympathy for, for that group because, you know, I, I, I feel like, you know, because even the way I grew up in you know, white suburbia, you know, as I grew older, there were things about my own past. You know, my parents aren't racists, but um, I think we all kind of contributed to a racist system without knowing it for so many years. Um, and there are things, you know, even like these deep seated ideas that you kind of have to confront even in yourself as, you know, um, like a modern, like not racist or anti-racist person today, you know, there's still um, those lessons that society teaches you as a child that just are in your body, how, how your body is trained to, um, have certain emotional reactions, how your body is trained to fear, how your body is trained to uh, love and, and accept, you know, like all that stuff is sort of racially coded from the time you're a child in our society. And, and it's just so hard to sort of pick that apart mm-hmm. as an adult and, 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 to, and to like look objectively sort of at your own self and say, okay, what are the things that are actually true? And what are the things that seem so true that I just can't even tell um, because of how ingrained they are, you know? Yeah. I really liked that you pointed out how through our society, because something I was going to kind of transition into a little bit is how our political stances and our faith have become way too close, uh, way too interwoven. And it's, it's very much used for agendas right at this point. And I liked how you had said like how this has been going on for a while and how this was used to justify slavery, used to justify certain lifestyles, and the Bible has been used in that way. And still to this day, especially, you know, radiating out from like the Southern Bible Belt outward, you have a lot of places still teaching these very things, whether they realize it or not. They may not use the same words because uh, slavery isn't legal anymore and things like that, but like the mindset's still there. It's still echoing through that. Yeah, racist language is constantly evolving and adapting to new situations. And uh, so what? how do we educate people? Because I hear terms like, um, I guess, like white culture. You hear black culture. These are still divisive terms. And as a white person who grew up in a super 
uh, conservative circle, whenever someone says, oh, well, that's just, um, I guess, white culture, putting their, you know, kind of being racist or, or maintaining a racist attitude, whatever that looks like, our first reaction is to go, I'm not a racist, like you're just using racist terminology. And then we just kind of shut down from that side of yeah. things mm-hmm. and like to actually grow in that, because let's be honest, when you're like you were saying, when you're taught something your whole life, it's hard to unlearn something you've been told your whole life is the way to go, especially to take on a different mindset, yeah. because I don't think the goal and it correct me if I'm wrong here, Camille, I don't think the goal is to take on the mentality of, oh, I'm a racist, so I need to change. It's to take on the mentality of we're all created equal despite our upbringing. Is that is that the goal here? Is that, I guess, ultimately the goal we're trying to get to? And then if so, how do we change that mindset with the terminology we're using for people who are so ingrained in this that they, they don't know how to get out of it? And it almost seems like an attack to them whenever you start bringing this up to them. Yeah, you know, I think I would say, like, I agree that the goal is not to just be able to tolerate each other, but I think the goal is to be able to see different cultures and honor the beauty of all of them, you know? And so I, I think it's okay that white people have a culture, you know? And I think that that's just now becoming a thing that people are acknowledging that white culture is a culture. It's not necessarily just the default, you know? Um, So I think it's okay to acknowledge those things. And I think also what I'm starting to see is that we're getting to the point of realizing that it's not enough to just be 90s not racist, you know? It's like, oh, we put black people in these pictures over here. We're not racist, you know? We allow Mexican people to come to this school. We're not racist, you know? But the goal is to be actively anti-racist, which is something that Jordan and I have been kind of digging into and trying to learn about. And I think there's lots of resources out there. And I think the biggest way to be anti-racist is to educate and then advocate, you know, so you have to be willing to educate yourself. You have to be willing to hear things that are unpleasant and you have to surround yourself with information, surround yourself with culture. And that is, in my opinion, that's the only way to change hearts is by exposure and education, you know? Yeah. And I think for, you know, for white people trying to engage with this idea, I think one of the things that hinders uh, white people from really kind of digging in is that sometimes people see racism as this, a racist is what you are, you know, it's like an essential component of a person, you know, it's a, it's, it's like a person is racist, you know, and Mm -hmm. That kind of that idea, I think, is less helpful because, you know, I think it it kind of diverts our attention away from, you know, what's really important and where we can really make an impact. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like, I don't think I think that people do racist things. I think that people have racist ideas. But, you know, the degree to which somebody is contributing to uh, systems of racism and the degree to which somebody is opposing systems of racism changes moment to moment. You know, I think clearly, like you could say people who have consistent patterns of racism, you know, you might say, okay, yeah, that person is a racist. You know, even in in sort of more progressive circles, I think um, it will help um, white progressives to say, Okay, you know, I can I can I can be comfortable with the idea that I'm not a 
you know, essentially mm-hmm. a racist, you know, mm-hmm. in, in my very being. Right. But, you know, am I contributing to economic or um, mm-hmm. cultural oppression today? You know, in the or in this moment, am I am I contributing to the progress of racism today? Am I am I contributing to things that harm disproportionately, you know, people of color? And so, you know, that in that like reframing it that way, I think allows us to sort of engage with the issue without that defensive shield coming up. Because if anybody says, "Oh, you're being a racist," well, you know, like, "Oh, wow, you're attacking my my very being. You're attacking who." my idea about who I am. You're attacking my identity um, by calling me racist. But if we can say, you know, right now you're, you're contributing to a system of exploitation that is racist. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I can be like, Oh, you know what? Yeah, you're right. You know, I am, that's something that I was, was unwittingly doing. And it's not, it's not about, you know, my identity. It's about my actions, you know, and, and dealing with our actions is, is something that's way more, that's way easier to change than just like, oh, I need to change my entire identity and conception of myself, you know? I was just going to say, I love what Camille said about honoring uh, different cultures. I think that there's beauty in diversity, but we can't let diversity become divisive. Whenever we're like, oh, well, my culture's better than yours, that's when it becomes divisive. But when you're, when you say, oh, this culture represents this, your culture represents this. How can we bring those together? How can we embrace each other? I feel like that's where you start to find the humility. That's where you start to find the education and and advocating for each other instead of saying, well, I'm better because I have this and you don't kind of thing. Well, and Camille, something else you were saying too, to kind of tie that together. uh, I've never heard of people using white culture as its own culture. Like I've legit never heard that. That was completely new to me. I want to like thank you for that because I feel like when we stop saying, okay, yours is the default and so everything else has to be held to this standard, it puts people on a level playing field at this point. Like no longer is, you know, my culture because I'm probably as white as white can get. <laughs> like, you know, I'm no longer held to this pedestal because like my goal is to not belittle someone else. And I know I have to actively work at that because I've grown up in a society where whether I realize it or not, I've been taught things throughout my life that belittle other cultures. And I'm actively doing my best to work those out. But I've always felt like I may not have as much of a voice. And I know this is um, a big thing right now, too, is like people are racist against white people now. And I was actually going to ask, do you think that's a real thing? Mm -hmm. But I kind of see this different thing. It's like, okay, well, if you're the yardstick everyone's holding everything to, like, of course, you're, I don't know, it's just, it's this weird manipulation where I feel like I don't want to say anything because I'm just a white guy, well, you know, I'm just another say, white guy and I'm so sick of old white dudes telling me how to live my life, so. Well, and I was going to say that you've often felt like you couldn't <laughs> use your voice because you are a straight white male and you felt like you weren't able to say, well, this is how I feel about something because someone would put you well, on that pedestal. Because people would think I was trying to belittle how yeah. they felt because that's the default reaction, right? Like, because that's how it's been for so long. Just mm-hmm. because I have an opinion doesn't mean I'm belittling someone else's, but that's how it's instantly taken because that's the, the I guess, the, the culture mm-hmm. we have lived in is if I say something, I'm belittling your culture. So does, does white racism exist? Is that a thing? I, I don't, I'm not trying to say it is, but like, how do we shift that mindset? One, one thing I just want to 
one of the ironic things about like the intertwining of like Christian identity and white identity mm-hmm. is, you know, like if you look at the New Testament, you know, all the white people, I guess, are like probably the Italians, like the Romans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And they're all bad guys <laughs> in the story. You know, like it's funny how just like people, you know, take these stories and they're like, oh, oh yeah, white people must be the good guys because, you know, that's sort of what I was raised to believe and yeah. kind of read that in there when, you know, in the actual story, like all the white yeah. people are terrible. Uh, that's really funny. But yeah, but sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, you're <laughs> That made me laugh. Cody, I think it's interesting. I, I want to ask you a clarifying question. So when you're saying um, you feel like when you give your opinion, are you finding that you're, you're getting those kinds of negative responses from like people of color? Or are you talking about when you're just kind of like putting your opinion into the atmosphere. So there's been a couple different scenarios and and I just want to go ahead and start by saying I do not feel like I have ever been racially discriminated against by any means. So I'm taking that off the table. Sure. Uh, I feel like because I'm a white yeah. male, um, people instantly expect me to try to belittle them. And I, I don't know if that's so a couple instances, mm-hmm. I guess that I can kind of give. I was in a Facebook group that's a rather large group for a rather famous podcast that I prefer just not mention on air here. But uh, that group specifically mm-hmm. caters to people who are, um, I guess, if you, the more outlier you seem to be in terms of like, I guess, social mm-hmm. standards, like if you're the more further away from a white guy you are, the more your opinion is valued. And I understand how this has Mm. happened because for so long it's been a pyramid where people like me, you know, of my racial descent have sat on top and everyone else is below us. And I get that. I know Mm. I understand colonialism. I understand Mm. like uh, Jordan was saying with the racism has been sewn in through slavery and all of that. And I guess for me, someone who wants to view things more level, uh, people ask opinions and I would give just a general opinion like the rest of everyone that wasn't anything. Like, it, towards, would, yeah, it doesn't have anything anyone. to do with race or anything like that. Nothing with that. But instantly I would be attacked mm-hmm. because I'm just a white guy trying to push my agenda. And so my voice would be sucked out. Another mm-hmm. ex- uh, example is I had someone who I, in one of my videos for music that I do, I had mentioned um, Aztec Indian instead of Aztec Native American for an instrument. My favorite instrument, it's an ocarina. I know I'm Legend of Zelda nerd. I get all that. So, uh, um, but I was talking about the history <laughs> of you. the ocarina and I had said Aztec Indian. I grew up in a conservative Christian school and it says Indian in our textbook. The shopping center I shop at is Indian Head Shopping Center. Yeah. Like, it, it didn't even occur to me. Yeah. And I understand that's offensive to someone mm-hmm. who grew up as Native American. I understand that might be offensive to them. I meant no offense by it, but that's kind of that whole unlearning some of the more, I guess, those those terminologies and stuff. But to me, this is still actively used. I live in Arkansas. Right down the road is the, Sorry. it's oh, it's Toltec Indian Burial Grounds. And you can go there, which is probably disrespectful in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But it exists, and it's right down the road from me. So I'm just using terminology right. that I'm used to. Well, I had someone come and make a whole video mm-hmm. tearing me down for using this terminology, even after I apologized for it, and just completely tore me a new one and tried to rally a group mm-hmm. of people to come and attack me. And there was about a hundred of them mm-hmm. that literally just came to try to intentionally destroy what I said, which was an accident. And so I understand the realness mm-hmm. of, and I guess I'm trying to play devil's advocate here a little bit too, for people who are mm-hmm. white and grew up in white culture 
how do we justify what mm-hmm. is positive growth versus what is too far? Like, Where does that line fall? How do we be constructive on it? Because I feel like a lot of people who are on the opposite side trying to not be racist feel like they're attacked for smaller things instead of being built up or trying to be taught, I guess. And I, I'm sorry, I don't exactly know how to word this because honestly, mm-hmm. this is not a topic I'm well-educated on. So yeah. I really am looking to you for answers on this. So I apologize if any of my sure. uh, wording came across weird because I don't exactly know how to word what I'm asking. Yeah, yeah, no, you're good. I think I understand what you're asking. And at the core of it, what I what I hear you asking is like, is it safe to grow <laughs> in public, you know? Um, and I think the short answer to that is yes. I think we live in cancel culture right now. So people are very sensitive because I think it's just kind of like what I picture is kind of like a pendulum. So we've been on one end of the spectrum for such a long time, like you said, like where straight white men are king, you know, and in some ways, yes, we still live in that culture, you know, but we have a huge resistance and sometimes it does take it swinging super hard to the opposite end of the spectrum. So what you might be feeling is what people of color have felt for a very long time. You know what I mean? And what you're experiencing is, is a little bit of that, you know? So I think what I would encourage you to do is, is to a give yourself grace because I know you understand your heart and I know what you're trying to do is be inclusive. And yes, like as far as the native American slash, like, Indian indigenous uh, person thing like just hearing from a lot of indigenous people like it varies within that community as well you know and so for us that aren't in that community it's hard to know what the right word is to say and so if you get somebody from that community saying like hey this is the right word that we use the the easiest thing to say is you know what my bad I will learn from that you know I think it's okay for you to still share your heart and how you feel about things. And, and yeah, in some places it's not going to be a safe space for you, you know, just like for me, there's certain places that aren't safe for me, you know, and that's probably not super encouraging or helpful, but that's just kind of where we're at right now. You know what I mean? And the fact that you're still continuing to try is a good thing. You know, you're still continuing to try to educate yourself and ask these kinds of questions. But, you know, not everyone is willing to educate you. Not everyone is willing to do that in in the kind way. And if you find something that's not helpful to you, you we just got to move on, you know, and, and find what, what does work and what is actually helpful. I was just going to say, like, I, I do think it actually is, it's really important and really valuable for our culture to elevate, you know, voice, that have not been elevated in the past you know I think it's really important to hear you know those stories and um and to value those opinions because they've been so valued and actually you know I do think that you know white voices still have I mean there are some spaces you know where if you're a straight white guy you don't you know your voice isn't as valued but like overall you know like I think we still live in a system that's weighted more toward benefiting, you know, straight white men than anybody else. So, you know, I think that that's important to keep in mind. Um, You know, I think Camille said earlier, you know, I think it's also important to, you know, just realize that, you know, my, for so long, me being a straight white guy, 
my viewpoint was the default, you know, official mm -hmm. stamped and approved viewpoint of, you know, civilization or whatever, <laughs> you know, and, and to, and, and to just be like, okay, you know, I grew up being told that I grew up like learning that implicitly in, in a million sure. small little ways, switching over to a, um, like a pattern of listening is going to be, is going to be hard for some people. Mm. But, uh, but that said, you know, uh, like with the example that you gave, I don't, I really don't think it's, it's valuable for us like to jump on people and attack people, you know, because of like a piece of language that, you know, like this is a big country, you know, English is a really diverse language, mm. you know, and it, it, it takes time, you know, for, for, you know, for like changes in the English language to make their way all, you know, from the East Coast to the West Coast to the middle, you know, and I don't, I don't think we should, I think we should be compassionate toward people who, you know, haven't gotten to a certain point yet. I, I think that sometimes liberals and progressives, they're like, oh my God, I can't believe you didn't already think the thing that just uh, happened last week. Right. I'm so offended by that, that you didn't. And, and, and like, I get where they're coming from that, you know, they're very passionate about you know, this, this new thing and, 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 you know, it, it's better for culture. It's better, you know, but like, I don't think, I don't think we need to, you know, take uh, an excitement for, you know, the good that, that culture could become and turn that into a reason to attack people and tear people down. Um, yeah. and, and obviously Cody, you are not a, uh, a giant systematic society wide, you know, oppressed oppressor, you know, right. like you, you know, so like, you're just a guy on, on YouTube. And, and if that's, if, if we're attacking a guy on YouTube who, um, you know, uses uh, a term and, and then apologizes for it, we are misdirecting our energy because there are actual giant systems of oppression we could be tackling and then we could yes. be working to, to break down and to deconstruct. And, uh, and yeah, Cody is not a system of oppression. I'm sorry. Right. Well, it's just easier to do that because yeah, it's so right. hard to like go after the whole system, especially because 90% of the time we're just people behind our keyboard and it's like, okay, well, yeah, what am I going to do? So I'm going to let this one guy have it, <laughs> you know? No, I was going to say, which is, I mean, that's what, I think all of us are looking to feel validated, right? That's what yeah. our society has done is devalued specific groups of people. And we're living in a yes. time where we're attempting to fix this. It's not perfect by any means, far from it, but we're attempting to fix this. At least a large bulk of people are attempting to fix this. And it's right. easy because you can go into a place like that, just like I can. I can sit here and talk negatively all day long about a specific pastor, you know, talking about my niche, what we do. And I can have 30 people rallying behind me and it feels nice, but it's not constructive. It doesn't actually mm -hmm. fix the problem. It just talks about the problem. Mm -hmm. And talking more mm -hmm. about a problem doesn't fix a problem. And what I really hear through all this, and I love what you said about how that is, in essence, a very small example of what uh, different cultures have felt being belittled. And I think that that, like you said, the pendulum sw swinging back and forth, it takes a lot of that to finally land and a, on a stable place. Mm -hmm. And I, I think right. that that's a positive thing. It's someone I can look at and say, hey, this is growth. This is progress. Even if it's misdirected, mm -hmm. even in that, hey, that's a good thing. And now mm -hmm. with the right words, we can open up a conversation mm -hmm. and I can have a conversation mm -hmm. with someone else. And 
with that being said, I really feel like what I'm hearing is it just it's the heart. It's trying to look past the yeah. words, trying to look past the misunderstanding of how to say the right thing. It's not about saying the right thing or being politically correct in every way. It's about really digging down to the heart of how someone is truly trying to exist. The reckless pursuit as a whole strives to be a safe place for people to ask unsafe questions. And I feel like the way to do that is extending grace towards people, is extending Mm -hmm. education and honoring diversity without being divisive. And having these conversations, these are the conversations that are actually going to um, have change and power to our words mm-hmm. instead of just bickering online back and forth over, you know, minute things when we can actually be having wholesome conversations, constructive conversations, and actually gearing towards the ultimate goal of loving people and actually honoring people. Once again, we just want to thank Jordan and Camille for continuing this conversation with us. I know racism and COVID-19 and everything else that we talked about can be some really hard-hitting topics, but it is a much-needed conversation. Yeah, and of course, once again, if you want to find them, head down to the show notes and you can find links to, uh, to their YouTube channel. And they do some really, really cool stuff over there. So I highly encourage you to go and check them out. Also, they have another episode coming. Like I said earlier, this is part one of two, so be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening to this show so you can be notified as soon as their next episode drops. And if you haven't done so so far, head down to the show notes and ask to be a part of Nomads, a safe community for Christians to ask unsafe questions. That's where we can keep this conversation going. And until next time, be brave, be bold, and be reckless. We'll We'll talk talk soon. soon.